wish we were with you guys. It's been quite some time and we always love coming up to visit. But uh, we just trust during this time we'll use the tools we have and uh, equip the saints for the works of service and really impact your nation. And of course that will reverberate to the ends of the earth, which is always exciting of the effect and the impact we get to have. What I felt to share with you guys uh, in this time of your equipping, it, the title, I don't think will give it justice, but it is just simply back to basics. And uh, again, I know we can hear that and think, ah, basics. But friends, the privilege we have in this time as we've come out of COVID and as we're still working through the details of it, is so much has been stripped off of us. And some of it difficult, yes, but so much of it so good. Uh, it's almost like seeing a runner carrying weights upon them and they do it for training, but at some point those extra weights have to come off so they can truly run to the full speed, the full potential that they have. And I believe for us as the church in each and every nation, we're certainly seeing it in the United States, but also in Canada and around the world, we have the privilege that we're at such a key time where we can strip off the things that hinder us and hold us back and get on with that which God has called us to do. And the wonderful thing about God's work is it's not something new. It's not something uh, overwhelming. It's not this great big thing that often we can make it. It is simply the basics of God's word, God's plan, God's purpose, God's salvation, and advancing his kingdom. So we're going to jump in with that. And uh, out of it, just seven simple points, things that I believe will help us to be encouraged, strengthened, and walk strategically as the church into the future that God has for us. First one is simply for big circumstances, we need to refocus on the big God that we serve. Again, too often our circumstances have become so huge. And certainly with COVID and lockdowns and all these different things that have taken place, our circumstances have become big, certainly bigger than they were. But we need to make sure we understand that no matter the size of our circumstances, it will never outmeasure, outweigh, or overwhelm our God. God is always greater than our circumstances. And as leaders, we have to continue to pour that into the life of the church. Those who are coming in uh, out of the world who don't yet know God, who have not yet received Jesus as their Savior, they need to know they're walking into hope, genuine, real hope, a God that is bigger than what they're running from. So they can run to Him and into Him and find salvation. One key scripture is Psalm 33. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. And even that, that simple psalm written by David is a, just a, a poetic um, rejoicing in the God that he serves. Reminds us, God created the heavens and the earth. Is there anything he cannot do? God looks down from heaven upon mankind. He sees everything that's happening. He doesn't approve of it. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't ignore it. He knows what's happening and he knows what we need. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I know we start to think immediately of politically our nation isn't uh, under the things of God. You're right. No nation truly is. 
But we, as God's people, God's kingdom, in a nation, bring the presence and the power and the hope of God into the nations we live in. And that's the privilege and the opportunity you have in Canada. Again, the God of our day in the modern church is too small. And it's not that we need to invent a new God. We just need to get back to the true God and preach the, the truth of God, not hype, but the truth, the realities. Take people to Genesis 1. Take your people through creation and help us to understand God spoke and everything that is came into being. Because then when they face real circumstances and dire straits, God's big enough because they understand my circumstances are big, but my God is bigger it is so essential that this basic, real truth is put ever before God's people. We remember in Isaiah 6 when he, he says, I saw the Lord on the day uh, your king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And he talks about the, the cherubim around and the overwhelming presence of what he saw. And he fell down basically as though dead. And he realized the depravity of himself, the depravity of the people he was around. He was done for. And in that place, God forgave him of his sin, took away guilt. And then when God said, who will go? Who, who can I send? He didn't ask, well, where am I going? And what am I doing? And give me a list. And do I get this? He just said, here am I. Send me. Because when we understand the bigness of our God, everything else pales in comparison. The church needs to remember the God of all creation, the God of all salvation, the God of resurrection, the God of redemption, the God that is always on his throne. And we, the church, have the privilege to continue to, to preach that message and to build upon that foundation. Again, too often we try and address the problems and the circumstances in the world when we actually just need to keep pointing people to the bigness of the God we serve. And those things fall away. When we gather on a Sunday, let it be about Jesus. Let it be about the bigness of God. Not songs about my troubles or songs about my situations, but songs about the one who is bigger than those things. Basic, but essential for us to be who God's called us to be. Point number two, when there's great fear, people need great peace. And the greatest peace is in God, Jehovah Shalom, the God, our peace. And friends, again, it can go back to pointing to his, uh, his ability, his, create, his creation, his power, all of that. But it's also in the midst of the storm, understanding that God isn't abandoned us in the storm. He's with us in the storm. Luke 8, 22, uh, says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake and the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. It didn't say they, they thought they were in great danger. It said they were in great danger. This massive storm comes while they're in a small fishing boat in the middle of the lake. They are in a desperate place. The circumstances are real. The danger is real. Then the disciples went and woke him. Jesus hadn't even woken by the circumstances, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Not Master, Master, we might be in trouble. We need, we're going to drown. This is bad. It's not good. And, and just trying to help him understand. And Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And Jesus asked them, where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. 
Friends, we serve a God who has mighty power over all circumstances. But he is not aloof. He's not sitting on his throne while we're here. He is with us. God with us. Emmanuel in the midst of the storms. And our people need to understand that truth. That when they're struggling with sickness, some with COVID, or finances, or family, or marriage, or relationships, or health, whatever it is, he is not far from them telling them what to do. He is with us in those circumstances. He is the God of peace. And that, that truth needs to be massaged into the lives of all of our people. Because whether we go in and out of lockdowns, wherever we are, no matter what we're facing, his peace upon his people to lead us into his calling Again, not overwhelmed by the squall and the storm, but even sleeping in it, knowing he has control over it. For too long, we've looked to politics, to money, to man's methods for our peace. And we're forever disappointed and forever disillusioned. No matter who your president, prime minister is, even if they're a a passionate follower of Jesus, it may change some policies for a while, but it will never be the solution. He is our peace. He is our hope. As politics change, finances change, economy changes, health changes, He remains the same. And those are truths that need to be, again, poured into the church. He is our rock of salvation. He is the one upon which we stand, no matter what comes our way. Number three, for great sickness and struggle, we need the healer and the great redeemer. Again, I know each of these piggyback with each other, but friends, the God we serve isn't single-faceted. He is bigger than anything we can imagine. And each of these are truths that need to be poured into the life of the church. We need to stir the faith of our people for miracles that He can and He will do. In the book of Acts, it talks about um, Peter and John on their way to prayer. and They've gone to prayer many, many times the same route. And on the way, there's a man there who was uh, lame from birth. And for this, for whatever reason, at this moment, the Spirit of God connects them eye to eye with this man. And he's asking for money, and Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, pick up your mat and walk. And he gets up and he walks, and the whole place goes crazy. And the the miracle begins to be spread around. This has happened. This guy who's never walked is suddenly walking, leaping, jumping around. And what it does is it causes a chaotic moment all throughout the area. And it, Peter and John are then brought before the Sanhedrin. They're brought in. They're, uh, they want to understand what's happened here. And yes, they, they get in trouble, but that trouble actually begins to give them the opportunity to preach the gospel and to reach a region and to see people saved over and over. And it just begins to stir even more of the momentum of the birthing of the church. We need to understand those miracles are the same miracles he wants to do today. And I know we don't walk along and people don't lay along the side of the roads for prayer in most places or or for begging. But there are people around like that. There are people in our communities who are in wheelchairs and situations and circumstances that God does want to move in. There are people with cancers and people who are broken and people possibly who are dead that God wants to bring back to life. And I know that can sound radical and crazy, but friends, it is biblical. And that's the power of the God that we serve. That truth, that faith-stirring truth needs to be in us and in the people we have the privilege to lead. Each of us needs to be in our homes and in our lives. And our first response is to pray with faith for the sick person to be made well. And I know they reach out to the elders, we anoint them with oil, but we've built a system that if people even look to the church for miracles, they call the elders. And that's, that's right, and that's good for those in the church. 
But what about the millions that are not in the church? What about those addicted to drugs? What about those who are bound by alcoholism? What about those who are suffering with sicknesses and illnesses that are incurable and they're counting their days? We serve the God, not a God, the God who can heal, redeem, restore, and raise the dead. These truths, these basic real truths need to be massaged into a culture that is overwhelmed with fear. In the midst of that chaos, we've got the incredible God who heals. Again, we need to share every testimony of what God is doing. When someone is healed, share it. When a miracle happens, share it. When a financial breakthrough comes, share it. Because those give glory to Him and it lifts the faith of the people. I know it takes up time in meetings, but you know what? Some of our announcements can be put aside. To be honest, sometimes our preaching can be put aside and songs can be put aside for the testimony of what our God is doing, can do, and will do as we put our faith within Him. Think of it as the lost come in and they hear the testimonies of Him. They just turn their faith to the one, the only one, who can save them. What a glorious God we serve. Number four, for a world that's confused, we need the clarity of God's Word. Make sure in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of articles and, and TV shows and opinions and all these things that are out there that at times can begin to come into what we preach and dilute what actually needs to be said. Put those things aside. It's, it's not important that people remember what the news said. It's not important that people remember the latest book. What is important that when people hear the Word of God preached, they remember Jesus. They are turned to Him. And the truth, even if it hurts, comes and brings clarity in the midst of chaos. A couple of many, many scriptures, but Hebrews 4, 7, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There is no other word that can do such a thing. Our words, even as profound as we may think they are, cannot cut into the very soul of a man. It cannot pull out and reach those offenses that need to be reached so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. We want to raise up and train up God's people for His purposes. We can't do it apart from His Word. And I'm not saying that we aren't doing it, but don't let God's Word be a, an added-on thing. Don't let it be little quotes here and there. Build upon, found what you preach and teach upon God's Word so that when people say, I don't understand, where did you get that from? I don't agree with that. You can simply say, I appreciate that. Go to the Word of God. This is where it's from. It relieves us, it points people to the truth, and it lets them work it out with God. It brings us to a place of maturity. Is it popular? Obviously not. But popularity is not what we're looking for. We want people to grow in their faith, to rise in it and to mature, and to carry something with them, the Word of God, that they can go and share and touch and impact lives all around them. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, just some simple things. Teach line upon line. It's okay to take a book of the, the Word of God, of God's leading you in it, and take people through it. A great one, obviously, right now is the book of Acts, a, a church with all the stuff stripped off. How do we rebuild God's way rather than a cultural way? Preach using Old and New Testaments so people understand that the thread of Jesus is not a New Testament thing, that the plan has been in place from the beginning. Challenge the people to read for themselves. 
Teach the people how to read their Bible and relate it to everyday life. Don't speak ethereally and give messages that are wonderful and eloquent, but yet people go home and have no idea what we've said. Make sure that we help them to, take, to have handles. It's not that people are, are, are dumb. It's just simply life is life and the Word of God and our privilege is to shepherd and bring those two together. So when they walk out of meetings and gatherings, they take handles on the Word of God and go live it out. We've got to make this practical and real so that we can impact the world outside of our meetings. Point people to the Word of God in all of your counsel. Experience is great, but the Word of God doesn't change. Experience needs to point back to what God has done through His Word. And again, don't add Scripture to sermons, but be so deep in the Word, you may not even need notes. You can simply take the Word of God and open it up and begin to pour out what the Spirit of God gives you into His people. We have such a rich wealth in His Word. Don't put it aside. Go deeper in it. Number six, or sorry, number five. For the darkest hours, we need the brightest lights. And friends, the brightest lights are us. We are the light of the world. And again, we cannot hide and we cannot assume that the, the few of us who get the privilege to preach on Sundays is enough. Our job is not to pull people into meetings. Our job is to, in those times we meet, equip, train, and send. We need to get out of the Sunday morning mindsets and meeting mindsets. They are important. They are essential for training and equipping. I don't want to reduce that. But we need to, as the church, and we need to stir it in the heart of the churches, this reality that, again, 1 Peter 2.9 says it so well. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you, us, we, all of us, leaders listening, those who don't understand yet that you are a leader too, and the people we have the privilege to shepherd, we are to declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. We are meant to be a priesthood, and the world will change when the church rises up as a priesthood. We will stay very much the same. It will be very difficult to make any real difference if the only ones speaking and the only lights shining really bright are those who get up on a Sunday and preach. Because to be honest, those of us who have that privilege, it is a privilege, but our effectiveness is narrow. We're around Christians most of the time. Those who come and listen primarily are Christians. And the, and the Bible, again, doesn't say pull people into the church. It says go, go and take the gospel, go and make disciples of all nations. So we as leaders, again, we need to equip the people, first of all, to help them understand they have, we have a purpose, all of us. And that purpose is to take the gospel out there, to live it out there. We need to activate our business people to understand the value of what they're doing. They are amongst uh, many of the unsaved and impacting people and movers and shakers and leaders, probably many of them six days a week, six and a half days a week. We have got to equip them and encourage them and flip the switch on that they can go be light in the world out there. CEOs, people who travel, who, who maybe can't be to a Sunday meeting, but once a month, that's okay. Let's equip them in the time that we have. So the time when they're away doing what God's called them to do, they can do it effectively. But again, we've got to flip that light switch on in each and every one of the people. And it's, it's an incredible thing to watch someone get the revelation of their calling and begin to walk in those greater things. It's an incredible thing to see them impact their family, the neighborhood, their school, the coffee shop, wherever we go out there during the week, seeing people saved as we read in the book of Acts, people were added to the number daily. That daily was in their day-to-day -day routines. It wasn't simply in meetings that they gathered in. They got equipped in the gatherings and then they went out. 
We need the brightest lights in the darkest of times. And that privilege has been given to us. Number six, for the loneliest of times, we need the strongest of families and fellowship. And again, we need to be deliberate with fellowship. We need to deliberately get together. And when I say fellowship, it's not simply church meetings where we have food. And those can be good, and I've always enjoyed them. I love food, love Jesus, and love people, so that all works. But we need to equip our people and ourselves to open our homes, help people to understand how valuable it is to have a family around their table or a lonely person that's just come into the church or maybe from work or maybe from school or maybe from the neighborhood. When we open our homes and we open our tables, it provides an opportunity for someone to feel welcome, valued, loved. We can be generous with our food. We don't have to be rich, but we can be generous with what we have. And it gives them a chance to be able to share their story in a place that's not church. There's no expectation of this message that's going to come. They can open up, feel connected. There's a deeper connection. They can begin to share their story. And as they share theirs, you can listen and hear and be in prayer. And then you can also share your story, which is going to contain Jesus. It's going to tell them about what he's done and about who he is. And in those places, people become family. In those places, people feel like they belong because they do. And I'm not saying we do it as a gimmick. I'm saying we do it as a heart attitude. Open our homes, open our hearts, begin to get out there and impact people. And you know, if the government locks you down again, what will happen is instead of having 100, 200 people that gather in one place when a small group teaches, what will happen is you'll have 100, 200 people who are out there ministering in their neighborhoods, ministering in their homes. And if they decide to lock things down again, what's going to happen is you could have 50 churches born because one neighborhood was affected by one member of your church who got this opened their home and began to gather. And then suddenly it's too big to add back in. It's got to become something of, of the thing that God wants to do. What a privilege. What a joy. It's not hard. But we need to commit ourselves to real and genuine fellowship, friendship, and food together. Acts 2.42 again talks about they devoted themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. All these sorts of things. And so just... Um, just encourage, strengthen, and walk in it. We as leaders can't tell the people to do it and not do it. Open your homes. Leaders should be in other people's homes, going to connect groups, having, taking advantage of those smaller opportunities of gatherings to just invest in people and to hear people and to love people. Number seven, last one, promise. For such a great time of wandering, I mean, so many people are trying to figure out their identity. Who am I? Where am I going? We need to have a clear mission. And again, there's different statistics and things that are out, but it shows that most churched people, certainly in America, have no idea what the Great Commission is. And I know we've given it the title, The Great Commission, and that could be part of it. It's a very churchy saying. But we need to understand that we have been given a clear directive from God. And it isn't that He just sent us to go do it. He's with us in it. He's empowered us to do it. He's opened up the nations to us. But friends, we need to make sure as we lead that we pour that purpose into each and every one of us in the life of the church. That everyone who comes in understands you didn't get saved to sit in a seat. God's not keeping you on earth uh, just to, to bide time. There's a purpose to us being here, a clear mission and purpose. And that's to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, out to every end of the earth so the people who've never heard of Jesus can have the opportunity to receive the incredible gift of salvation we have been given. But we've got to make it clear and we've got to make it consistent. 
It can't be a one-off preacher. It can't be when the evangelist comes in. Every thread of what we do needs to have knit into it the message of the gospel. Jeremiah was one, uh, Jeremiah 1, 5, one of my favorite scriptures because it's just, it undoes this whole thing of trying to figure out why we exist. It says, uh, Jeremiah 1, 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. There is a pre-plan, a predestination, as it were, of God for each and every person that he created, saved and unsaved. The difference is those who are saved, who come to know Christ, can also begin to discover why they were made. And as you discover why you're made, you get on this journey that is the most satisfying, wonderful life ever lived. Not easy, but wonderful and fulfilling. And it's fulfilling the reason you were made. And the wonderful truth in that is, is that those out there who don't yet know Jesus have a destiny within them. And if we, the church, can begin to walk with clarity in our calling, then we can begin to see and identify and help them see the destiny they also have, which can bring them to Christ. And in Christ, they can join us in this journey. But leaders, I just encourage you, make it clear. Every person, every person in the life of a church has a purpose and a plan. And that purpose leads to and fulfills the Great Commission, each of us having a part in that. Again, these are simple truths. These are not things that we've not heard before, not walked in before. And I'm sure each of you have, many of you who preach have preached on these things before. That's okay. Paul never held back from repeating the same thing. It kept them safe and it kept them on course. Sticking to these simple things, and it's not exhaustive, it's not everything, but even these seven things can make the church strong capable and effective so that we're known not just for that building over there on the corner in its walls, but we're known in our communities for being impacting, life-changing, miracle-walking, uh, loving people around us, churched or not churched. So when the, the community's in trouble, they reach out to us first rather than elsewhere. And then within us as the people, we begin to see and dream of nations and we can begin to go touch the ends of the earth as we have the privilege and the calling to do. So Canada, I want to encourage you. I know what you're in the midst of, and it goes in and it goes out and it changes. But God's plan stays the same. These truths remain the same. Keep at these truths. Keep at these basics. If you haven't been at them or they've become a little unclear, get back to them so you can get, continue on the course that God has and see all of Canada reached and far beyond your shores. And even as I prepare for this time, I just felt like, this is a final prayer and a blessing over you, over the equipping time and over the, the season that's ahead for Canada. And it's out of Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. We're praying for you. Can't wait to see you again. Carry on the great work that's there. And uh, we'll be in prayer standing with you in faith. Take care.